Well, we are going to uh, move right into the sermon and, and everything, and it has been a wonderful time of transition for us as a church family as we have navigated the last year or so, and we look forward to the fall. Um, before we jump into Philippians, um, and it actually will lead into Philippians, I want to spend a few moments here uh, discussing uh, some, a topic that we've discussed several times over the last year and a half regarding the pandemic and the policies and procedures and how we have handled it as a church, and we'll continue to handle it. We have always been up front with you, and we have always tried to navigate uh, this situation uh, as a church family, recognizing, understanding uh, the diversity of situations, health situations, uh, political persuasions, uh, vaccine persuasions, mask persuasions, everything. We get it. Um, but we want you to know that as elders, our number one heart, our number one responsibility uh, has been to seek the Lord's will for the good of his church, because this is his church. Amen. And uh, that's, that's not an easy task when you recognize and try to be sensitive to diversity and yet honor uh, the authorities as best as we can. And so we've done that. And you know that our heart has been, and you've heard this uh, from me consistently for 10, 11 years, but specifically in the last year, that uh, in the Bible, agape love is self-sacrificial love. Uh, when it says, for God so loved the world, or when we're called to love someone biblically, it means I will self-sacrificially lay down my rights, give you my resources, time, energy for your benefit, not expecting anything in return. That is biblical love. That is the highest level of agape love. That's the love on the cross. And so here, regarding this whole situation, our heart has consistently been to love one another with agape love, to love one another with agape love, uh, self-sacrificial, okay? Now, uh, as we move forward and, uh, you know, the, the current situation with the variant, the Delta variant and the statistics that are being um, presented in the various counties and, you know, authorities having to make decisions, uh, I will forewarn you, and I've talked to our leadership team this morning, the current situation in the country and maybe in the community, you have to be very careful because we are on very, very thin ice right now about um, this thing just completely blowing up. I'm talking just anger, division, angst, okay? Because if we're honest, many of us, you know, a year ago, we're like, oh, and then we kind of weathered it and we didn't know, nobody seemed to know. And then, you know, it seemed like a few months ago, things opened up again, and everyone breathed a sigh of relief, and pretty much everyone said, woo, glad that's over. And then little by little, we're finding out, you know, it's not necessarily over. And uh, I just want to forewarn you, as, us as a church particularly, that it's, it's, a, it's a heart issue. It's a, it's a love issue when we're together, when we're together, okay? And uh, I spoke with someone yesterday uh, who attends this church regularly, has for years. And uh, they have chosen not to be here today because they are awaiting uh, their results. They discovered that they had spent time with someone midweek this past week, and they were notified yesterday that that someone that they spent time with came back positive. And so they got tested yesterday. And because they love you, and out of an abundance of caution, they didn't want to come today because... They felt it was important to wait for them to get their results. Even though they've both been vaccinated, they still wanted to wait. Okay? 
my point in sharing this is that this is real life. This is like real time. It hasn't gone away, okay? And uh, I've shared, many of you shared the journey with, with me, with us a year ago. I told you there's been times back in, what, April? Last March, last April. It was me and the camera right there. And all of you were at home. And that's just the way we had to do it. I would come here and literally be me. I would be the only one at the facility. I would turn the camera on, then I'd race up here, and then I would do the sermon. And then I told you the one time I did the whole sermon and I forgot to plug in the cable. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to redo it, right? And we made do. We made do. You remember all the videos, the well meet and greet videos from people at their homes, right? Vinny and Shiloh, they did worship from our den. You remember that? I preached from my like, living room a couple times, right? So we went on this journey and... We thought it was sort of coming to an end, and now we don't know, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm processing it personally, okay? It just, you know, when I leave here, I'm, I'm a normal person like you, and I got to deal with, you know, how I feel about things and my opinion about things and whether I like this or agree with that. So, you know, I'm navigating that. Then I have to stand on this side of the podium and say, well, you know what? There's a hundred of you and maybe a hundred more at home, and let's navigate this together, right? So... My encouragement and what I want to share with you is our heart remains to love one another, self-sacrificially. If you want to wear a mask here, by all means, wear a mask. There is no stigma. There is no criticism. We don't look up or down at you. I don't know your situation. I don't know your health situation. I don't know your story. I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Okay, and, and, and we have the privilege to gather, amen? This is a privilege that we didn't even have a year ago, okay? So I celebrate, I try to keep it real simple and real basic. We have the privilege to, privilege to gather. I don't want us as a church family to get caught up in and even, you know, expressing opinions and trying to get, you know, your camp and this camp. We're here about Jesus. We're here to worship God, 100%. That's, that's our focus as uh, as a church family, understanding diversity, you can still have unity without uniformity. You can still have unity in diversity if you understand we are unified in Christ. In Christ. Remember in Ephesians when in Jesus, he brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. Woo! You want to talk about cray cray? The Jews and the Gentiles in the same room in the same church. That was nuts. But in Jesus, it was a supernatural testimony. Of what can happen, okay? So, I just want to uh, spend this time reiterating that we understand. We're just like you. We got to work through this at the personal level. And then the elders get together and we have to seek the Lord. And there is diversity of opinion on our elder board, okay? We are free to share our opinions. We are free to have robust discussion. And um, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Um, so we're going to ask you here, ask you at home, uh, stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on Christ. And um, love one another as we're called to love one another. Okay? Self-sacrificially for your benefit, not mine. Okay? Um, if, like Tyler said, and we had one of these instances come up, if there is ever a situation where perhaps this week, one of you, in person, tomorrow doesn't feel well, and decides to get tested, and by Wednesday, your results come back, and you're positive. If that happens, because it did happen before, 
we will notify you. We feel responsible to do that. And there's three ways we're going to do it. We're going to do it uh, by the church website. Okay. We're going to do it on the church app. We have a church app. If you don't have a church app, um, you can talk to Jordan or someone in the back and they'll help you download that. That's how we uh, put out notifications. And thirdly, we have church email. And you can either fill out the card that Tyler talked about, or you can go to on our website and let us know. So there's three ways. We had to do this once before. And uh, just so you know, if it goes out, uh, we honor HIPAA regulations on that. We're not going to tell you who it was. Okay, we're just going to, like we did before, say, hey, you know what? We've been notified that someone who was here at Sunday service has come back and tested positive. You may need to decide what you want to do with that. Okay, so uh, those protocols are still in place. We still disinfect the whole facility, hours and hours. Of, you know, our, our Tyler and his crew, they don't leave here until 2.30, sometimes later every Sunday, making sure that this place is as clean as it can be uh, for all the ministries that happen. Um, but that's our heart. It's really important. We wanted to share. I wanted to share with you. Um, these are some very, very challenging times. And I'm not, you know, I've been in ministry almost 30 years I'm not blind to the fact that what you all are processing and being challenged with Monday through Saturday doesn't come through those doors on a Sunday morning. Now, we can choose to focus and everything, but it's still real life. And then when I say amen, or actually when Randy says amen at the end of the service, you're going to walk out those doors and you're going to be confronted with it all over again. And so if we can collectively choose while we're here and while we're joining on live, if we can collectively choose to be focused on what we need to be focused on, which is loving God and loving each other, we're going to continue to navigate this well. Amen? Okay. But just be forewarned, I understand the, the, you know, a lot of people are redlining. And it makes it worse because the needle had dropped. And so when it comes back up, everyone's getting more like this and even more so and even more entrenched and more uh, and more uh, and more uh, because they really don't like it. And I understand that. And that's why, you know what, like we do around here, we're just going to try to get ahead of it by keeping us focused on loving God and loving each other. Amen? Okay. So enough of that. We're going to keep moving forward. And, and even this, this issue, and I was like, well, we're going to address it. I thought, well, you know what, it actually leads us right into the book of Philippians as we continue. Because last week, hey, Ty, can you make it a little colder in here? Last week, oh, we got an amen from the front, all right. Last week, we talked about joy. Joy. And, you know, if you, if you were here or you listened online, uh, you know that the choi- joy is a choice, right? I can choose joy. Okay, so a quick, quick, quick review. This past week, however you want to define week, to, since you were here or since you watched it, how have you been doing in the area of choosing joy? Like, rather than being reactive and going into the old person and going down the rabbit hole of just emotion and feeling and opinion, how many times this week did you actually catch yourself and say, wait, 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 time out. I can choose joy in the midst of this circumstance, right? So if you've already done that, your life has already changed. Transformation has happened because we saw that we can choose joy. Uh, Charles Swindoll, we saw in his book, Laugh Again, uh, he talked about three joy killers or joy stealers. Worry, stress, fear. Worry, stress, fear. Now, you know, 
probably all of those in varying degrees, maybe equally, you know, worry, stress, fear, equal COVID, maybe, right? But it could be your finances. It could be your health, non-related to anything COVID. It could be relational challenges, right? Worry, stress, fear. Could be the future, right? And he says, these are what he calls the main joy stealers, and yet we can choose. We can choose, and this is what the book book of Philippians, why it's so important for me, for us, as we move into the fall, to to walk through Philippians together, because the theme is joy. Joy. Charles Swindoll says this, I have discovered that a joyful countenance has nothing to do with one's age or one's occupation or lack of it, or one's geography or education, or marital status, or good looks, or circumstances. Joy is a choice. It is a matter of attitude that stems from one's confidence in God, that he is at work, that he is in full control, that he is in the midst of whatever has happened, is happening, and will happen. Either we fix our minds on that and determine to laugh again, or we wail and whine our way through life complaining that we never got a fair shake. We are the ones who consciously determine which way we shall go. Powerful. Powerful. Right? And I believe that, that if we were honest, you know, whether you want to contextualize it to COVID or to whatever situation you're facing in your life, man, when life hits and circumstances flip you, you know, especially unexpected, the text, the email, the meeting with the boss, whatever, the the thing that came in the mail, right? And you just get shook. Man, it is is a powerful moment of decision to say, okay, how am I going to respond to this circumstance? How am I going to respond, right? And, And the book of Philippians really reminds us that we can respond in joy. Now, we saw last week, what is joy? Gladness, delight rejoicing, cheerfulness. Now, it is not bury your head in the sand, silly giddiness, because you've decided to deny the reality of life, right? That is not joy. Again, it goes back to, wait, this thing just got dropped in my lap. I have a choice. I have a choice right now. And we're going to see today that that choice of, of, of going the joy path is really, really related to your confidence in God. This quote, it stems from one's confidence in God, that he is at work, he is in full control, he is in the midst of whatever whatever has happened, is happening, and will happen. So you know what happens? And I, 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 I was reflecting on this really in my own life and maybe yours. If I am struggling with being confident in God, who he is, who I am as his child, that he is in control at all times. You know what happens? If my confidence level starts to wane, you know what comes up on the other side? Control. Meaning I'm in control. Think about that. When I'm confident, if I have an area in my life where I'm confident that God's got it, I release control. I'm at peace. I can rest. Even in that circumstance, 
But usually what happens, if I get sucked into a circumstance and I start reacting in the flesh and in the old man and everything, and my confidence starts to wane, you better believe what's happening right on the other side, I'm starting to want to control this thing. I want, I want to deal with this. I want to... And usually, when, my con- when, when, when it goes like this and, and I'm at a high level of control... I'm usually pretty miserable, and so is my family. Because we got to deal with this, right? How many of you remember um, the movie Tarzan, like the animation years ago? You remember the big gorilla named Kerchak? Remember, who, who remembers Kerchak? Like, real, right? Well, when that movie came out, little did I know that my kids, they loved that movie. But my kids nicknamed me <laughs> Kerchak. Because there were times in my family when situations came up and didn't maybe have a, I, I would just ride into control mode and, you know, da 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 da. And, you know, the, the phrase that Kerchak, there's a phrase in the movie where Kerchak, you know, they, they're tumbling around and something and something happens and Kerchak shows up and goes, What happened? Right? <laughs> I literally, that's where I got the name because I would say that at home, right? Something they would get into it as kids, something would break or and I would show up, what happened? And like, <laughs> right? So, so Kerchak, and, and I look back at my life, what was Kerchak? It was confidence, waning, control, insecurity, control, fear, anxiety, raising. So I'm trying to control and I'm like going to intervene and Kerchak on the scene, what happened? And the kids are like, right? And so it's a choice, but this choice to choose joy really, really comes out of confidence. And I shared with you, it's something that, that really takes time and even comes out of pain and trial and tribulation. I shared this with you for, you know, to give you, if you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, from some of his street cred. When it comes to joy, because in Philippians 4, he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, right? That's the Apostle Paul. But a few years earlier, the Apostle Paul tells you what he's been through. This is what he's been through in 2 Corinthians 11. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Woo! Right? You think you had a week, or, or you think you've had a life. Look at that, right? And yet in Philippians 4 4, what does he say? Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And you gotta, you know, if you're reading that, you go, how is that even possible? How did he make that, how did he make that transition from all this pain and misery and, and all these trials and tribulations to a few years later saying, later saying hey, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I will say rejoice. How did that happen? And we're going to spend some time the next few weeks looking at it because a large part of the Apostle Paul's ability and then admonition, command for us to rejoice, comes out of confidence. Comes out of confidence. Okay? Philippians 1, 3 to 6 says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Okay, so Paul is writing a letter to the believers at the city of Philippi. It's a letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So they've had a wonderful relationship, Paul and the believers, the church. Verse six, and I am sure of this, That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Today, we're just going to focus on that little phrase. Many of us probably skipped right over it. I am sure of this. I am sure of this. In the New Living Translation, it says, I am certain that God. In the NIV, it says, being confident of this. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to confidence in God, confidence in him being in full control of your life as his child, 24-7, 365, what has happened is happening, what will happen before you put your head down, how confident are you? How persuaded are you? That's what the word means, right? Uh, The word is pytho. It means to be persuaded, to believe, to trust, to have confidence, to have faith. So, at this, just in all honesty, and it might vary from area to area, finances, health, marriage, kids, job, okay? It's not necessarily a blanket. In various areas, how confident are you this morning that you can choose joy because God is in control? Holistically, and then bring it down to specifics in your life. Because you might have a pretty high confidence level because of your experiences in a certain area of your life, and then you might have another, if you're honest, you might have another area of your life where it's like very low. But you're scared to say it. Right? And we're going to talk about that. In Romans 8.38, you see this assurance again. What does he say? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our our Lord. Are you that sure? I mean, that's a bold, confident statement. He is like, I am confident. Nothing will ever separate me from my father. That is a man who has nailed the stake in the ground. He is like, I am confident. I am all in. And when he's all in and he's resting in full confidence, he can choose joy. The question for us and for the next few weeks is, how's your confidence level? In fact, we're going to look at what I call confidence killers and confidence boosters. Because many of you here, and even listening online, it's not that you don't believe God. It's not that you don't even trust. It's not that you haven't trust Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've been struggling for years and years because it's been a confidence issue. Not necessarily a a holistic believing. You're You're just lacking confidence. And then, because you lack confidence, you take control. 
And so we're going to look at, over the next, we're going to kind of like go from Philippians, and the guys were laughing at me because this happens. Like, we're going to go through Philippians, but usually what happens is I hit a verse in Philippians, and we go on a road trip this way. And then five weeks later, we'll come back to Philippians. So I'm warning you, we're going to take a little detour, and we're going to, next few weeks, we're going to look at confidence killers and confidence boosters. What in your life, what in your relationship with Jesus happens, and you just start doubting, and the insecurity levels come up? And you don't know if I can really trust God with this. And suddenly you're back in control. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. And part of this today to kind of lay a foundation is we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's journey when he became a believer. And kind of something he did really foundationally that I think many of us never even realized happened. Okay. In Galatians 1, it says this. Now, you remember the Apostle Paul was Saul persecuting the church. He has this miraculous meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus and he gets saved and in radical transformation becomes Paul. Okay. Now he's telling you a story about that. Look what happened. Galatians one. He says, for I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This is the apostle Paul before he was saved. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before is born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So what happens? Saul is on his way to persecute the church, to put believers in prison, destroy families. Supernatural miracle happens. Jesus appears to him, right? And then in Acts 9, 20, 25, we see immediately he starts preaching a little bit, okay, in Damascus. And then it says here that he went away into Arabia. Now, Arabia, uh, if you understand the meaning there, it's a desert place. It's countryside outside of Damascus, sort of like the wilderness, okay? Some believe that the apostle Paul went away for up to three years, So he has this supernatural thing, right? So he's all committed. He's persecuting the church. He's all in as a Pharisee, all in, right? He's all in, committed. One of the best of the best, persecuting the church. He meets Jesus. He has some ministry. And then he goes to Arabia for a period of time. And that's the part, that little, but I went into Arabia, that little phrase. Many of us are like, okay. He went to Arabia. Why did he go to Arabia? This is what Kenneth Wee says. He says, Paul needed to be alone with God. He needed time and isolation in order to think. The revelation of the Son of God had blasted away the foundations of the Pharisaic thought structure, which he had been building up with such consummate skill and zeal. And it had come tumbling down in ruins about his head. This revelation also furnished him with another foundation upon which to build a new theological structure. But the replacement of the ruined structure with a new one could not be the work of a day or a month. 
There in Arabia, isolated from all human contact, alone with God, the great apostle restudied his Old Testament scriptures. Not now with the Pharisaic traditions vitiating his thinking, but led by the Holy Spirit with the central fact of the cross of the Lord Jesus as the controlling factor in his meditations. Out of all this study emerged the Pauline system of doctrine as we have it presented in Romans. Let me, let me rephrase that. Paul was driving along, doing his thing, thinking he had it all together, large and in charge. He's driving along, meets Jesus, argh, has to go to Arabia and put it in park. And he just goes, I got to think about this. My world just went, boop. Everything, everything that he had been committed to, believed was the truth, was willing to put his life on the line, was willing to put others in prison. Everything that he was all in in just suddenly went boom. And this is what he needed to do. Not volunteer and get busy at the church. What he needed to do was get away and think. Because he understood the implications of what had just been revealed to him. How many of us have ever taken the time to say, I got to think about this. I got to think about this. Now, I'm going to share a story with you, and this is no disrespect to the, to the Roman Catholic tradition in which I grew up and I, which I still, you know, value right? But I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. And as a young college student, when people were sharing their faith and I came to faith and I started reading my Bible, I got to be honest with you. I had this moment of like, wait a second. Wait a second. I got to think about this. I got to think about this because I was raised and, and th- there was this and there was all this structure and we had to do this and this. And now I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, wait, my, my, my brain hurts right now because this is not the way I was raised. I got to think about this. I got to consider the implications. I got to consider the consequences of following Jesus because I'm going to change. I want to follow Jesus, but my family and friends didn't change. And there's going to be consequences if I follow Jesus. Some are going to hoorah and others are going to be like, boo. I got to think about this. And I think that our confidence level with God, honestly, in the church, because we're so inundated with podcasts and resources and media, we don't think. We let others do the thinking for us. We let others opine for us, and then we just parrot their opinions, but we've never really thought it through. And what happens when you think it through? You own it. You own it. Like you have one of those moments like, oh, this is on me. This is on me. I shared a story with you. I was on a mission trip, southern island of the Philippines. Fairly new believer, probably two years into the Lord. Just got married a month earlier. Part of this mission trip was they were going to select two guys from our team to go into the, into the uh, hills of this southern island to go minister to villages. We had been warned before our trip that this island and particularly the hills were not very friendly to Christians. 
slash Americans, right? We knew that. We were in a safe compound and came, oh, we're going to go to the villages over there. And in our head, before we left, those are not safe. So it comes to it. The, the, we're in there and we're like, oh, tomorrow we're sending two of you to uh, the villages to go do some house hut visitations in the villages all day. Sean and Richie. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I remember that day I woke up. I'll never, I'm just a young believer and I'm learning verses and I'm, right, I'm on a mission trip for Jesus. Yay, right? We're going to go help them. Yay. And, and suddenly, me and my buddy are put on a Jeep with the locals and I'll never forget this. We're driving towards the hills. And I don't know what was going through Sean's mind, but we didn't talk. Maybe he was, he was on one side of the Jeep. I remember I was, I think, on sitting on top of the Jeep or somewhere. And I'm just staring off. And my heart is beating. And I'm a young Christian. And I'm like terrified. I'm terrified, scared out of my skin. Because I might die for Jesus. I thought I was on a mission trip to go help these people. And now suddenly they're putting me into, an, into a geographic region that we have been told is not friendly to me. And I remember... I was so scared, and, and I'm looking at Sean, and we're not making eye contact, and we get to the first village, and we're supposed to go, like, do these visitations in their huts, and I, you know, I'm just, like, coming clean. I get off there, and we're supposed to be the missionaries from America, right? I'm like, yeah, I'll go right ahead. I'm going to be in the back, and I remember I was just kind of, like, sauntering along, looking for every behind every tree and behind, you know, and through that, the reason I share this story is that it was a moment in my life where I was confronted at the heart level, at the very survival level, as real or not. In my mind, it was very real. And it was like, hey, dude, you got to put up or shut up right now. Do you believe in me? Do you have confidence in me? Do you trust me? Put all the churchiness away, all the cliche away, all the pod, you know, we didn't even have podcasts back then, right? All that stuff away. Do you just trust me? Do you have confidence in me? No matter what happens. And when you come to those moments and you just have to pause in your life and go, let me think about this. Do I really believe what I say I believe? That's a confidence moment. That's a moment where you're going to have to be real honest with yourself and maybe a brother and sister in Christ about your confidence in God. About your confidence in God. And, and it's a process. Like he says, it's a process. And so the question for us this morning is, when was the last time you made time and space to think about God, to think about what it means to trust him? When was the last time you turned off all the media, all of it, turned your phone off, Turn the internet off. When was the last time you shut it all down and were left with you and God to think? Those are very sobering moments. And I'll be honest with you, in the way that our culture happens right now, many of us are very uncomfortable in those moments. We like the background music. We're not used to thinking theologically you're used to coming here and hearing me or someone else tell you what to believe 
and tell you what God's word says. But how many of you ever take it home and go, let me think about this? Let me, and let me actually think about this and how this is supposed to impact my life and the implications for how I use my time, my energy, my money, my relationships. Let me think about this. See, it's not that we need more information. You guys have all the information you need. You have tons more information than I had back in the 90s when I became a believer. It is so accessible. You don't need more information. What you need is more time to think about it. You just need to think about it and let it go, as Bill likes to say, from here to here. Let it sink in. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, that's painful because you find out along the way, maybe I don't trust God like I say I do. Or maybe what I believe isn't actually biblically correct. It doesn't match up. But it makes my life work. Makes me feel better. But it honestly doesn't really match up biblically. But to get to these places, you have to think about it. You really have to think about it. Psalm 63 you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. When was the last time you just spent time thinking about what it means to be a child of God, thinking about your name being in the book of life, thinking, 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 right? Last week I shared with you much of the church it's it's it's, it's kind of morphed into this place where we live in band-aid theology. Hey, 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 pastor, I got this issue. Can you give me a couple of verses, some band-aids? Or recipe theology, where I'm supposed to give you five steps, and you put it into a, and then it makes it work. When truly, truly, your confidence level and, and how the joy in your life will come as you think about, meditate on, as we talked about biblical meditation, what we call transcendent theology, bigger theology, God, his nature, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, never going to leave you nor forsake you, who you are in Christ, all the spiritual blessings. When you, when you begin to think and appropriate transcendent theological truth, you live a transcendent life. Amen? But many of us are living Band-Aid recipe Christianity, and you're looking for practical things that make your life work. And I'm telling you, no, take the time to think transcendently, big picture God, Eternal truths. Think there, and that will trickle down to your daily life. See, when I was on that Jeep, and when Randy went through cancer, and Bill's going through this, we're forced in those situations to think transcendently. We now begin to live up here in eternal truth. And then it trickles down into our perspective and our worldview. But much of the church is now living in practicality and self-help mode. You got to move beyond that. And how do you move beyond that? First step today, you got to carve out time to just think. You just got to think about it. Think about the implications of the gospel. I love this from Kay Warren, said it last week. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. Joy begins with our convictions about spiritual truths we're willing to bet our lives on and truths that are lodged so deeply within us that they produce a settled assurance about God. You know how you get to that place? Thinking, pondering, meditating, 
ruminating, chewing on it over and over. That's how you get the settled assurance. That's how you get the deep convictions that you own, that you're, as she says, willing to bet your life on. Question, what are you willing to bet your life on this morning? What are you willing to bet your life on? What are you willing to put your finances on, your relationship on? Where are you? And a lot of us, again, it's, we just never have taken the time to think about it. We're so busy. We're so consumed with all this stuff coming at us, and then we just let others do the thinking for us. Honestly. We just kind of find our favorite pastor, our favorite author, consume all of it, and then we just become, you know, whatever, a Piperite, a MacArthurite, a whateverite, right? A Randyite. A Billite, okay, and a Markite. Okay, so we got all of you. So rather than thinking it through and owning your own faith for you, right? Charles Swindoll says this, joy is a choice. It is a matter of attitude that stems from one's confidence in God, that he is at work, that he is in full control, that he is in the midst of whatever has happened, is happening, and will happen. Again, so let me just, let me just make this real going back to this COVID and this pandemic. Many people in the last year and a half have been very reactive. You react to the latest this, the latest news, the latest guideline. You become very reactive and very emotional and very whatever, wherever you are, you become very reactive. How many of us as a church, how many of you have, have sat down and said, Lord, let me think about this biblically. Let me think about What's happening on this planet since you're in full control? Let me just think about that for as long as it takes. How many of us have actually taken the time to think about COVID in light of transcendent truths about God? Versus how many of us are just reactive? And then we just opine and let our feelings. How many of us literally have taken the time? to think about COVID in light of God and you as his child. That's what we're talking about. This is where joy begins. That's why joy is not dependent on the latest CDC guideline. Amen? It just isn't. Because the circumstances and the guidelines and the policies on this planet may change tomorrow and then change again and then change again, but I'll tell you on the word of God, God never changes. My name is written in the book of life. That's not going to change. But that's transcendent theology. That's taking the time to think about big picture theology, and then you process worldly stuff in light of this. That's where you get your joy. That's where your joy is consistent. And then you look at the, you look at the example of Jesus. Look at Luke 5, 16. Jesus was a very busy guy. A lot of people didn't like him either, right? Look at what says Luke 5, 16. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus, God, often withdrew to the wilderness to pray, to think, to talk to Father, to kind of get it all back together before he went back into the masses. Jesus often withdrew. Jesus. Now, show of hands. If Jesus often withdrew, how many of us today think it's probably a good idea for us to often withdraw? But do we? 
nah, honestly, I watch, I, I listen to a podcast. We kind of take this the right way. We, we don't withdraw to think. We withdraw to listen, to podcast, to sermon. We withdraw to do something. Usually a lot of other things other than think and pray. Because honestly, and I'm sharing a little testimony, the times in my life when I've gotten away to think and pray about God and my relationship and circumstances in my life, it's been very uncomfortable, very painful, agonizing, very humbling, at times very terrifying, because I have had to be very honest, brutally honest, that things in my head were not biblical, it's control, and brutally honest that in certain areas of my life, I have not been trusting God. But I can only get to that place of letting the Holy Spirit speak truth to me if I get a way to think and turn it all off. Otherwise, it's real easy for me, especially here. I can get busy. There's no shortage of things for me to do. And there's no shortage of things for you to do at home. Turn on the TV, watch the Olympics. Everything but think. Withdraw to pray, right? Max Lucado says this, how long has it been since you, you let God have you? <laughs> Great question. How long has it been since you let God have you? I mean, really have you? How long since you gave him a portion of undiluted, uninterrupted time listening for his voice? Apparently Jesus did. He made a deliberate effort to spend time with God. Spend much time reading about the listening life of Jesus and a distinct pattern emerges. He spent regular time with God praying and listening. Mark says very in the early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Let me ask the obvious. If Jesus, the son of God, the sinless savior of humankind thought it worthwhile to clear his calendar to pray, wouldn't it be wise to do the same? See, and we're not talking like you need some huge degree and you need to understand the Greek or the Hebrew. No, you just need to carve out time to think. Just to think. Many of you have been in church for many, many years. You come here on Sunday, there's oftentimes, I don't say anything you don't already know, haven't heard umpteen times. You just haven't, the real, the real challenge is just you never t- take the time to think about it. Because when you spend the time to think about it, then the Holy Spirit can tell you how to really apply it. <laughs> Hearing and doing, Right? Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So Randy talked about faith and belief, right? So here's the thing. When you come to this idea of confidence and you get a way to think, you're like, do I really believe what I say I believe? Do I really believe this stuff? But when it comes to my money, my health, my kids, my grandkids, my job, do I really believe this? And, and it's important, you've heard me share before that the, in the Bible, belief is not just mental assent. Belief involves your whole being. You have mental assent, but you have to have action to say you really believe it. Now, let me, let me give you an example. As you've heard this before, all of you right now sitting in these chairs are exercising biblical belief in the chair. How do I know? How do I know you're exercising what we would call biblical belief in the chair? How do I know? You're sitting on it. You're sitting on it. Now, most of us think that belief in faith is about the chair. Yeah, I believe that chair can hold me up. 
I know the manufacturer. I've read the, I've read the guide. I know, how, I know the weight capacity. I know what it's made of. So yeah, I believe the chair could hold me up. That's just mental ascent and data gathering. If you really believe, what will you do? Sit. Biblical belief, biblical faith is your whole being resting on God. Not just assenting to certain truths. Right? And here's a real crazy thing. I'll give you this example. If you really want to exercise greater faith, lift your feet off the ground. Ooh, right? That's faith. Has anyone here, since we've been together, tried to help the chair hold you up? Has anyone here, but when you came in, did anyone doubt the chair? How many of you sat down in the chair in full confidence in retrospect? How many of you? Didn't, you, you didn't even think. You didn't even worry. You didn't ha- did anyone hit the chair? Did anyone test the chair? Did anyone jump on the chair? How many of you came in, were talking, and just plopped into the chair? How many of you did a plop this morning? You know what that plop was? Faith in the chair. You know how you got that? Experience with the chair. How do you grow in your faith and your confidence with God? Experience with him. Experience thinking and then living it. That's where your joy comes from. It's experiential. All of me, I'm all in. And I look back on certain matters in my life where I was scared to death, not just on the Jeep, but that Jeep incident, I look back, it helped me to sit in the chair, the God chair. Right? It's experience. How many of you can look back on your life right now, now that you see it this way, and go, God got me through that? Anyone? Right? Yeah. You know what? I grew through that. Anyone have a, I grew through that. How many of a, I, I trusted God now more through that. What's that? That's that chair you sit in every week. That's the confidence that God wants you to have because it's related to your joy. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You want to grow in your faith, your confidence, you got to go to the word of God. Begins there. Okay? Warren Wiersbe says, true Bible faith is not blind optimism or a manufactured hope-so feeling. Neither is it an intellectual assent to a doctrine. It is certainly not believing in spite of evidence. That would be superstition. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Kevin DeYoung says this, if you ever think to yourself, I need to know what is true. What is true about me? True about people, true about the world, true about the future, true about the past, true about the good life, true about God. Then come to God's word. It teaches only what is true. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus said, your word is truth. You got to make time to get away and think about truth. You got to think about it. Many of us have just got caught up in the rat race. Life moves so quickly. We just don't even think anymore. We react. We react. We react. That's why we don't have joy. We're not confident. We're just reactive. Okay? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we're going to be transformed, we have to choose to have our minds renewed. Here's the thing. It's not an instant fix. 
not an instant fix. Many of you, myself included, we have ingrained thought patterns, we have ingrained beliefs, we have ingrained worldviews. That if you stop and think about what the Bible says, you're going to be conflicted. You're going to run into some major, major conflict with what you think, with what you always said, what, what you always believe, what you always heard, and now you're going to lay it against what the Bible says, and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, my brain hurts. You're going to have an Apostle Paul moment where he had to get away and think about it like, oh, wait. Are you kidding me? This is what the Bible says. This is what I was taught. This is what I lived. This is all I know. And this is what the Bible says. That takes time, effort, commitment. And honestly, it might take a brother or sister in Christ to help you through that. Because when you're confronted with thinking and the Holy Spirit starts to show you things in your life that you need to put off and that weren't actually true, that can shake you to your core. And it can make you kind of scared because you feel like a little kid and you got to start all over again. That's okay. That's the simplicity of faith. That's the simplicity of faith. That's the simplicity of you sitting in the chair. Right? So I want to encourage you. Joy in your life, joy in my life is directly related to confidence in God. So this morning, we're going to sing a song. Come on now. And we're going to give you time to just sit and think. How's your confidence? Maybe as a whole, maybe in a certain area of your life. Maybe you're sitting here like, wow, Lord, I'm really scared. I'm scared about dying. I'm scared about getting sick. I'm scared about paying the bills. I'm worrying. I'm stressed out. I'm scared about the future. Maybe as you've been sitting here, you recognize that a large part of your joy has been absent, not because you're not a good person or you don't desire it, it's just because your confidence level has been shaken to its core. But you can choose right now. You can choose right now. And I'm giving you this time through this song. Choose to just say, Lord, I want to be honest with you. Please help me. Please help me to make the time to think as I should so that I can be confident in you no matter what the circumstance. Father, thank you for our time this morning. The Apostle Paul met Jesus and then he had to spend time in the wilderness because his world got rocked. And I think in this time of trial and tribulation on this planet, Many of us need to do the same thing. Our world is being rocked. As a country, maybe personally, maybe it has nothing to do with the pandemic, but our world is being rocked. And we need to just think. We need to get away. We need to go be with you. Not to talk at you, but to listen, meditate on your word, let the Holy Spirit speak truth. I pray you'd speak to our heart. Father, if there's an area or areas in our life this morning where our confidence is lacking, we use this time to confess it and just come clean and ask for your help.